Colossians chapter 4. We're going to be uh, finishing up our series called Relationship Restart. If I've heard it once, I've probably heard it a dozen times said, either in person or on social media, can't we just start over in 2020? Have you said that? I mean, honestly, you know, we have the COVID thing going on. We got just crazy economic times. There was that brief moment where we thought the murder hornets were coming. You know, I mean, mean, we can't even go to a restaurant now without fully garbing. And then as soon as you order, ungarbing so you can eat. It's just the craziest time. And I've heard people say, man, 2020, we just need a reboot. We need a restart because this year is just, well, it's just stinking. (laughs) It's just horrible. And, uh, you know, I think, I think it's kind of interesting that we have that mentality. God also uh, would say that we need a restart in our relationships because many times our relationships get just as jacked up as the times that we're living in. Our marriages, our relationship with our families, our relationship with our, with our employer, many times it just gets whacked out. And, and God's Word knows that that's going to happen, especially in the last days. And, I, and I'll remind you that this book of Colossians was written to Christians, to, to faithful, saved people called saints, faithful brethren in a city called Colossae. And we've mentioned this every week, that, that there also is a connection between the Colossians and Laodicea. And, and as we study that connection, we know that the Laodicean church age is the last of seven stages of the church dispensation. In other words, that seventh church that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 3, that Laodicean church, is the last age that's mentioned before the rapture of the church. And so I think God in his sovereignty and providence knew that in the last days, everything's going to get just whacked out. Not, I mean, murder hornets and COVID and, and just craziness economically and culturally and racially And God says, you know what, let me give you an epistle that will help you navigate these last days of the church age. An epistle that will give you victory over the spirit of the age in Laodicea. And that's what we get in the book of Colossians. It is a book that if you will commit your remaining days to study and to live out practically, it will help you navigate the last days leading up to and including the rapture of the church. I really believe that. And so one of the things that God wants us to make sure that we have right is our relationships. And so we've been studying these six relationships that start in Colossians 3 and verse 18 and go through Colossians 4 and verse 1. And we started six weeks ago with the, with the topic of wives because that's a great relationship that God wants to paint a beautiful picture with. God wants to paint a picture between a husband and a wife. He wants to paint the picture of Christ and his church. And so God gives us that relationship as a mirror for his relationship with his body of Christ. And so, and so we saw that wives are to submit to their husband. And even if you're not married, if you're saved, you still have a husband in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one true husband of the body of Christ. And the call to wives is just simply to submit, to obey, to follow, to, to get under the mission of your husband. And then we looked at husbands the second week, and we learned that husbands are to represent Christ in that marriage relationship. They're to lead their wife, they're to love their wife, and they're to be not bitter against their wife. And we saw how we are to represent Christ as husbands in our marriages. And, and then we studied children, 
And we, we learned about children that children are to obey their parents in all things. Okay, I'll give you one more chance, parents. Children are to obey their parents in all things. Hallelujah. I knew you were awake this morning. You see, it's good to amen it when it like fits. Like, yeah, man, that's, hey, kid, you hear this? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and listen, our children are to grow up in a home where they have expectation from parents. We, we need to give them things to obey. But ultimately, that, that represents and pictures for us our relationship with God the Father. He's the Father. We are children of God by faith. And I'm just going to tell you, God really desires for His spiritual children to obey Him in, in all things, right? And so what better place for the, for, the, for the Father and for the sons to be, or for the children, if you will, to be played out than in the context of the home? The home should look like what the ministry looks like and ultimately what our relationship with Christ looks like. And then we, we, we actually jumped ahead on Father's Day and we went ahead and dealt with the fathers and we, we learned that fathers are to not provoke our children to anger. And then Ephesians 6 says that we're to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And listen, that, that label father is the same name that God reserves for himself. And so and what a, what a tremendous privilege that we, that, that have children, man, we get to be called Father. And, our, and our, our calling is to make sure that we mirror God the Father in our home and in our relationships. And, and then he shifts, the, the Word of God shifts from family relationships to servants and masters. And, and we, we took several minutes last week talking about what servants are in the Bible and also what they're not. In the Bible, so a servant could be a bond servant, where they don't get uh, remuneration or payment for what they're what they're doing. But they could also be a free servant, where they get paid or they they earn a salary or earn a daily wage. We did go extensively to say servants in the Bible are not slaves. God is against men stealing, and that's very clear from from the Bible, cover to cover. But we did see that the servants were to obey in all things. They're masters according to the flesh. And we talk about our relationship with our employer because the truth is most of us are going to have a job at some point. And our relationship with our employer or with a, an authority that we're subordinate under, even that relationship pictures our relationship with God. Do you see how every relationship ties back to God? I mean, that's kind of the whole point. And so that relationship between a servant and a master, God tells us that we should be servants, not with eye service, but with singleness of heart, fearing God. What, whatever we do, we should do it heartily as to the Lord. And so even if you don't work for a Christian boss, God says, ultimately, you serve the Lord. When you go to work, you serve the Lord. And, and, and so at the end of the day, it pictures our willingness to submit to authority, which, which adorns us with the doctrine of Christ. Other people see something different about us because we're children of God and we're submissive to God our Father. So, so lastly, we're going to get in Colossians 4 and verse 1. One verse today, I promise we'll need all the time that we can get to get through this one verse. We're going to look at the last relationship this morning, that of a master. That of a master. Colossians 4 and verse 1 says this, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And again, I just want to say that every one of these relationships pictures our relationship with Christ. 
even Christ became a servant, Christ is also the heavenly master. Does that make sense? And so all of these connect back to Christ. And so let's pray. We'll spend the next few minutes studying, and then we'll get some lunch. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we need you this morning. We thank you for your your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that he is the teacher. And uh, Lord, I pray that you give us what we need today in our relationships with those that are in authority over us. Father, help us to to, to understand those of us that may have positions of, of leadership or positions of authority that, Lord, we're called to mirror the master in heaven by the way we lead. And so, Father, help us to, to, to glean those truths. May Christ be honored and glorified, and we love you. Thank you for the time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so listen, this morning, if you, if you find yourself in any position of authority, in any position of leadership, and in any sense of the word and you have people that are under you or subordinate to you, we're going to learn this morning that we're called to lead like Christ. Masters, and we're going to talk about what this means, giving to your servants, what is just and equal, but, but, but God's word just puts in there, you need to remember, masters, that you have a master in heaven. And so whether you're in the armed forces and you have a certain rank, whether you're an employer and you have employees under you, whether you're a supervisor or a manager, even in ministry, that, that term masters shows up as, as teacher or those that are in a, a, a position of spiritual authority. Listen, in all, even if you hire someone to do a job, you hire someone to clean your house or to mow your grass or to style your hair, listen, in effect, you have leadership over that person. They are subordinate to you. And so this passage is going to deal with you as a leader, as a leader. And so the first mention of the word master in the Bible is all the way back in Genesis chapter 24. And I won't read the whole text for us this morning. That's really small font. Okay. Uh, I won't read this, the font because, or read the text because you probably can't read it. I didn't realize I jammed all that in the, uh, in the slide there. In Genesis chapter 24, let me give you the backstory to the story. Abraham is seeking a wife for his son Isaac. And what he does is he says, okay, he calls his eldest servant, whom he trusts, and he says, listen, eldest servant, I want you to go back to my people, and I want you to find a wife for my son Isaac. By the way, the child of promise, right? And, and I want you to make sure that you don't get a wife from anywhere else. Don't, don't go around here looking for a woman. You need to go back to my people. And so uh, he says in verse 2, Abraham said to his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had. So this servant had responsibility in Abraham's house. He says, pray thee, uh, I pray thee, put thy thigh, excuse me, thy hand under my thigh. Aren't you glad we just handshake these days? <laughs> right? Put your hand under my thigh. Wait a second. <laughs> okay. That's just how it worked, right, in the Old Testament. Okay, so he's going to put his hand or his thigh. He's going to vow a vow. He's going to make him swear. Verse 3, uh, And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that thou should not take a wife of the sons of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, like in this land, but thou shalt go into my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Hey, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again uh, to the land from whence thou camest? In other words, hey, if, if, if a woman won't come here, should I take your son back there? And the answer is no. Uh, the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and, and from the land of my kindred, which he spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed I will give this land, 
he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman be not willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring my son, bring not my son there again, thither again. In other words, don't let Isaac go back to where we came from. God, God said we're to be here. Okay? Verse 9. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swear unto him concerning that matter. That, that is the first mention of the word master in the Bible. And it, it, it kind of paints a picture for us of this master-servant relationship. Abraham would have been the master. He would have had multiple servants. This one is called the eldest servant. Probably not anyone in his family, but, but a, a hired servant. This servant ruled over all that Abraham had. So this servant was someone who was trustworthy and had responsibility. Abraham even trusted this important mission to a servant. Abraham didn't go back to that land himself. He, he was getting old. He was stricken in years. He was well stricken in years. Inside joke for some of us in the room. And so he had to entrust this mission to somebody else. He entrusted it to his eldest servant. And, and it was a tremendous mission. Go find my son a wife. Okay, that's kind of a big deal. That's a big deal. And so listen, this, this servant was entrusted with the mission. He had trustworthiness and responsibility. He even knew and worshiped God because he vowed this vow to God Almighty. He swore by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. Now listen, there is some really awesome typology in Genesis 24 that, that we don't have time for, but let me just mention it real quick. Abraham in Genesis 24 pictures God the Father. Isaac pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. And that eldest servant pictures the work of the Holy Spirit of God, seeking to find a wife for the son of promise, Isaac. And so there's a great picture of the Trinity in, in Genesis chapter 24. There's a great picture of how God accomplishes his kingdom purposes from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit of God. Amen? Listen, if you're, if you're saved today, the eldest servant sought you out and revealed the gospel to you, the Holy Spirit of God, and helped you understand, and you were willing to, to be married to the Lord Jesus Christ in a relationship. It's a powerful picture of salvation. I just want you to understand that in this context, that servant-master relationship is a powerful thing, and God used it mightily. God never eliminated uh, uh, that relationship, God never called for it to be resolved or relinquished. Why? Because ultimately God is the master in heaven and, and we are called to be his servants. And so God never relinquishes that, that master-servant relationship all the way through the Bible. He actually gives us instruction on how powerful it is. So let's get in your notes real quick. And, and if you go back to Colossians 4 and verse 1, I, I want to uh, just read the verse again and give you the first point. The Bible says, Master's Give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Number one, saved masters need to give like Christ. And remember, this, this epistle is written to saved and faithful brethren in Colossae. This is not a general guide on how to operate a business in the 21st century, although biblical principles always work, even for unsaved people. 
But I'm telling you, this is written to saved masters who have any kind of authority and subordination from people under them. Masters are commanded to give. They're to give like Christ. Now listen, any of you that have a job and and have a boss or work for an employer know that a lot of businesses, sadly, are in business for what they can get. For what they can get. Businesses and employees and supervisors, supervisors many times use people to get what they want. More money, more businesses, more franchises, more contracts. And yet, God's Word says that if you're going to be a Christian master, then the first thing you have to do is learn to give. You have to give because God in heaven is a giving master. Can I get an amen right there? Listen, God is not in it for what He can get. He's in it for what He can give. Do you know that we can't... By the way, He doesn't get a whole lot when He gets us. Do you know that? And if you think that God somehow hit the lottery when He got you, then... Uh, you know, I hate to break it to you. Uh, you know, he won the penny lottery that day, okay? He didn't hit the jackpot. I'm sorry. Uh, because we're just broken, sinful people. God is in it for what he can give. And we know that that's the character and nature of God. God is a giving God. John 3.16, even lost people know this verse. For God so loved the world that he, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Ephesians 4 and verse 8 says this, Wherefore he saith, when he ascendeth up on high, Christ, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. The point is, masters in the flesh that are saved are called to give. They're called to give. What are they called to give? Number one, they're called to give that which is just. That which is just. Now, I already know that, that some of you right now are thinking, man, I can't wait till this sermon is over and archived. I'm emailing this to my boss. I'm emailing this to my supervisor. I'm getting a raise this week. I mean, maybe. Okay, you know, you can, you can throw a bone to your preacher. Uh, <laughs> 5% is fine. You know, whatever. I'm just, that's a joke. Masters are, are called to give what's just. That word just in the Bible means what is right. And again, listen, many of us that have worked any amount of time in the secular world, it is not uncommon in the business world for employees, excuse me, employers or bosses or supervisors to give unjustly to undeserving people while while not giving justly to those that actually deserve it. In other words, we've seen it work out many, many times. Listen, if you work for a company, sometimes benefits are given based on blood relationship rather than performance. You ever, you ever been a part of that one? I have. It's like, wow, everybody, everybody got fired except for the people that are related to these people. That's, that's interesting. And they're not great employees, but yet they still have a job. You know, sometimes that's the case. Benefits are given based on blood relationship. Sometimes benefits are given based on skin color. Sometimes benefits are given based on gender rather than performance. Sometimes benefits are even given on, based on education rather than actual competence. And let me just say this, I probably shouldn't say it, but in this city, you can't even pastor a church without a PhD. Whoops. <laughs> I ain't got one of those, but I think I know what God's Word says. I think I know what it says. And so listen, even in the, in the religious circles and context... Masters are to give that which is just. A saved master, a saved leader, a saved employer is different 
than a lost man. And God has called him to give to represent Christ. To represent Christ. He gives because there is a God in heaven that is a giving God. And listen, his, his position is to reflect that to the people in whom he has been entrusted. He rewards rightly. Number two, masters are also to give that which is equal. And you say, man, about time, Jay, let's talk about income equality. Well, that's not necessarily what it means. We're going to look at what it says in the Bible. There's a big talk about equality uh, in our nation. Uh, A living wage that's the same for everyone, everybody on the same uh, scale, everybody on the same income, and all those different things. Listen, when you read the Bible, that's not necessarily how it shakes out. As a matter of fact, what you see in the Bible is reward is based on work performed. Luke chapter 19. And you may want to turn there. There's a lot of passage that's not on the screen. But in Luke chapter 19, there is this parable concerning the kingdom of God. And I, and I think this is a powerful teaching in Luke chapter 19 as it relates to getting what is equally earned by a, a servant, by an employee. Luke chapter 19, verse 12, the Bible, Jesus is speaking this parable concerning the kingdom of God. He says, Therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants, and he delivered them ten pounds. That's a, that's a measure of money. And he said to them, Occupy till I come. So ten servants, ten pounds, each of them got what? One pound. Okay, just the math majors in the room, I need your help. They got one pound each, ten pounds, one pound each. And he says, Occupy till I come. But the citizens, excuse me, his citizens hated him, hated the master, and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the, there it is, the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound, and and let me just throw something out here. Who gave him that pound? Who gave him that money? Did he recognize at the end of this parable whose it was? Some of us need to recognize that what we have is is from God Almighty. You hear me? It's not your wisdom. It's not your ability to work. It's not your health. It's not your degree. No offense, friends. It's God that gave to you. And oh, by the way, he will hold you accountable. And that goes far beyond money. That's spiritual giftedness. That's time, talent, treasure. Are we okay? God has given us everything that we have, and he expects us to invest it for his kingdom's sake. And so he comes back, and he asks for an account, and, he, and the servant says, Lord, thy pound, because it's yours, <laughs> thy pound has gained ten pounds. So he multiplied it tenfold, and he said to him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, Hath thou authority over how many cities? Ten cities. And I just want to make the point that the reward was based on the work performed. It was equal to what he had done with what he had. And the second came and said, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And I just want to tell you, man, listen, God is, this life is nothing but a test. 
of our faithfulness, of what we will do with what God has given us when he comes with his kingdom and we stand to give an account. I'm just telling you, the way that we live and are stewards of what God has given us now determines what God can trust us with in his millennial kingdom. I'm just telling you, reward is based on work accomplished. So, so this man gained five pounds and he was given responsibility over five cities. Verse 20, and another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept uh, laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee because thou art an austere man and, and takest up that which thou layest not down and reapest that which thou didst not sow. And he said unto him, out of thine own mouth will I judge thee. So this third servant took the pound and he didn't do anything with it. He just put it in a napkin and he hid it. And he said, okay, I'm going to judge you out of your own mouth. And then he calls him a wicked servant. That's strong language. Wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that which I laid not down, and reaping that that, that I did not sow. Wherefore, then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. He said, you know, the, the simplest thing you could have done is just taken what I'd given you and took it to the bank. At least they give you interest. But you didn't even invest it in that. You didn't do anything with it. Income equality. See, there's a master that's going to reward equally. And it's righteous judgment. It's reward based on work done. So look at verse, uh, verse 24. He said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound and give it to him that hath ten pounds. You say, well, man, that's unjust. He's already got ten. Actually, you should take from the ten and redistribute to the rest. Isn't that the way we think in our secular, carnal, lost man mindset? But the master is rewarding based on work done. And he says, well, you didn't do any work. So you lose. You lose any kind of reward you could have earned. And they even said, look at verse 25, because everybody standing there saw what was happening. And, you know, they were like Republicans and Democrats today. They said unto him, Lord, he's already got 10 pounds. And the Lord's like, well, this is just how it shakes out in my economy. For I say unto you that everyone which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. And then he says, okay, let me deal with the enemies and, and, and slay them. Here's the point. Luke 19 shows us that if we're a servant of the Lord, we're going to be rewarded based on labor. If we are a master in this life according to the flesh, the reward should be based on work accomplished. Not favors, not blood, not, not skin color, gender. Justly and equally from a Christian employer, that should be manifest based on work performed without the other strings attached. And that's how God is going to judge ultimately. But listen, let me also say this. Look, as a Christian employer, you know, many times, here's the other side of that coin. Sometimes as a Christian employer, somebody that has authority as a saved person, maybe somebody in ministry or something like that. Well, because they're saved, right? The, the, many times we think that because they're saved, they shouldn't execute right judgment on our work. In other words, if your boss is a Christian, you can kind of get away with it because you and him are kind of got this thing. You're both Christians, right? You're both going to heaven. You're both, you both talk about the Lord and talk about church and talk about Bible study. And, and it's not it's not too, too far along before you as a, a servant 
begin slacking and taking advantage, possibly, of the situation that you're in. Does that make sense? Does that hit home with anybody? So listen, as a Christian employer, listen, you need to reward justly and equally, but it's also biblical to take away rewards from lazy people and irresponsible employees. It's also equally right in ministry. So if you don't use what God has given you in ministry and and what you have been entrusted with, don't be upset when God uses the human leadership and church leadership to take away your opportunities and give it to someone else. Because that's the way the Lord rewards. And ultimately, this picture of a master in heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ, and practically this master and his rewarding of what is just and equal, it pictures the judgment seat of Christ. That's what it pictures. Or Christ himself will give every man what is just and equal. Oh, oh, and by the way, you won't get reward because you were part of Community Fellowship Baptist Church. You won't get reward because you rode on the coattails of your discipler who knocked it out of the park for the Lord Jesus and you sat back and watched. You won't, you won't gain reward because Jay was my pastor. You'll gain reward based on what you did and only what you did. It won't be based on blood, blood relation. It won't be based on gender, skin color, educational status, or anything else. Romans chapter 14 tells us this. But why judgest thou thy brother? Why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And friend, let me just tell you, that day is coming very soon. Probably in 12 months or less. Maybe today. (laughs) For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself, and there's the key word, to God. So God is going to give us what is just and equal at the judgment seat of Christ. A master in the flesh is called to mirror the master in heaven. Give what's just, give what's equal. And and there are times where also people will suffer loss. That's just part of mirroring the master in heaven. Number two, saved masters, boy, we, we spend a lot of time on that first point, looking at that clock thinking, how can I land this plane in 15 minutes? Uh, All right, number two, look, save masters, motivate like Christ. Okay, so number one, we see that masters are supposed to give. They're to mirror Christ, they're to give like Christ, give what is just and equal. If you have any kind of leadership responsibility, you're to lead like Christ, You're you're to delegate reward righteously and in righteous judgment. Number two, saved masters motivate like Christ. Now we get this out of Ephesians chapter 6 verse 9. Again, Colossians and Ephesians have kind of mirroring uh, passages concerning these relationships. In Ephesians 6 and verse 9, the Bible says, ye masters, do the same things unto them, unto the servants. And here's the key, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Forbearing, threatening. In other words, God gives some instruction on how to lead properly as a master. You, the word forbear means to leave behind or to loosen from. And so what God is telling those in, in authority is, look, you need to learn to lead without threatening. 
You need to leave it behind. Isn't that a great managerial skill set? If you don't do this, I'm going to fire you. <laughs> I'm going to blacklist you. I'm going to, going to, going to suspend you. I'm going to give you a week off without pay. Listen, we, we are, none of us are, are, are unfamiliar with this. God says a Christian master, a Christian person in authority needs to forbear threatening. You need to be loosed from that and lead like Christ. And so fear and manipulation, let me just say this, fear and manipulation get results. But results, results aren't the goal. Results aren't the goal. People are the goal. People are the goal. And so listen, fear and manipulation, they're not the motivators for you to motivate people to work. And sadly, that describes many bosses, that describes many managerial styles in the workplace, and sadly, even amongst Christian supervisor, managers, employers, because, you know, work life is different than church life, and I have to talk a little harder at work to get results. You might want to get in the Bible. You might want to learn to lead like Christ. Manipulation is not motivation. It's wickedness. And although those tactics get results, you destroy the picture that God is painting, and ultimately you destroy people. By the way, that same thing can happen in ministry. So don't confuse telling people truth with threatening. And if someone loves you to tell you the truth, and here's kind of the side point of that, look, if somebody loves you enough to tell you the truth on the job, if somebody loves you enough to tell you the truth in ministry, don't receive the truth as threatening because you don't like it. Don't, don't, don't perceive, oh man, that's just mean, ugly talk. No, no. Truth is, is, truth is hard. And if somebody loves us enough to tell us the truth, we shouldn't receive that as a threat. We should actually appreciate that. We should appreciate a brother or sister that, that loves us enough to speak the truth in Christ. Okay, but listen. Threatening is the motivation for many people. Threatening is, is from religious people that ultimately oppose Christ. Let me show you this in the Bible, Acts chapter 4. You know, there were religious people that threatened the apostles. They threatened them to stop preaching the gospel, Acts 4 and verse 17. But that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them, the apostles, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name, to Jesus' name. Their, their leadership style was that of threatening. You better stop preaching in Jesus' name and we're going to throw you in jail. We're going to beat you. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Saul, before he got saved, that was his leadership style. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. And so listen, it's a power play, man, in the, in the workplace. I'm the boss and you're not. That's how that looks, right? Lording over people, physical abuse, verbal abuse, threatenings of firings all the time, limiting or blocking advancement. Do those sound familiar in the workplace? Listen, a saved employer or a saved boss has no place for this type of leadership. It destroys the picture that Christ is trying to paint through his workplace, through his ministry. And let me just say this on record. Listen, if your ministry is using fear and threatening for motivation, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. First Peter chapter three, excuse me, chapter five and verse three says, if you want to be a good minister, you're not going to be a lord over God's heritage. You don't lord over people. You be an example to the flock. 
It doesn't mean that you don't have hard conversations, but that you are an example of humility and Christ-likeness. You don't tell people what to do and just expect them to do it without you yourself humbling yourself before Christ. You say, well, man, I got, <laughs> I got a real jerk of a boss. What do I do? He's not even saved. She's not even saved. Man, they don't lead like this at all. How am I supposed to go to work tomorrow and, and deal with the chaos that is my workplace? Well, God tells us that, that sometimes we have to suffer for Christ's sake. <laughs> you know, Christ suffered in this world. He's the master in heaven that came to this world, became a servant. You can't despise your master because they're lost. As a matter of fact, your humbleness and, and servitude to them is going to paint a great picture of the gospel when you submit to them. Just like a wife submitting to her husband. Just like children obeying their parents. It's all the same. And so what do you do as a servant? Well, look, you, you do your boss service. You do your employer service. You, you, you give to them not because of what you get. Because you want to mirror Christ. You know, 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to skip ahead, uh, Derek, but in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 to 23, the Bible says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. And again, I just want to say our obedience is not based on our circumstances. If I just had a better boss, I could do a better job at work and be more like Christ. If I just had a better pastor, I could get on board with what's going on at CFBC. It it doesn't depend on your circumstances. It depends on your heart before the Lord. And he says in verse 21, For even hereunto ye were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we shall follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Okay, so, so my point is, again, I know we talked about servants last week. We're going to all walk out of here and say, man, let me just look at my masters. Let me look at my boss. Let me look at my supervisor. Let me look at my pastor. And, and, and every one of those, you're going to say, well, here's all the reasons why they're not perfect. And they're not perfectly like Christ. That still doesn't give us any, any room not to submit ourselves to them. Masters. Motivate like Christ. Lead like Christ. Forbear threatening. And again, whether it's on the workplace or in the ministry, there's no room for that. All right, lastly, number three, we're done. Saved masters know that they are accountable to Christ. Saved masters know that they're accountable to Christ. And again, Colossians 4 and verse 1 kind of breaks it down for us. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master where? In heaven. When you, when you jump over to Ephesians, it, it, it almost echoes that word for word. Again, in the Ephesian epistle, ye masters do the same thing unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of person with him. Here's what you need to know. If you are, are in any position of leadership on this earth, you are still under Christ's authority. You have a master in heaven. Every master has a master. So you haven't arrived, friend. (laughs) No offense. You have a master in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 23 and verse 8. But be ye not called rabbi, for one is your master. One. 
even Christ. Matthew 23, verse 10, Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, capital M, even Christ. John 13, 13, You call me master and Lord, and ye say well, for so I am. I mean, Jesus kind of knew, hey, you got that one right. <laughs> I am master and Lord. Okay, so, so look, here's what we need to learn from that. Look, no matter how high we climb on the corporate ladder, we'll always be below Christ. No matter how high we get in the organization, we'll always be below Christ. You say, man, I'm the CEO. I'm the, I am where the buck stops. Well, the buck stops under Christ. <laughs> it stops under Christ. No saved master is without authority and without accountability. And so that ought to keep us humble. That ought to keep us humble. And so how do we, how do we operate? Listen, even Christ, and I've said it before, Christ is the master. How did he, how did he handle that on this earth? And, I, and I, here's the last point. Let me wind it down. John 13, Jesus Christ, the greatest master ever, he led by example. He led by example. And, and many of you know this passage in John chapter 13, verses 3 to 17. Let me just look at it real quick. This is the famous story where Jesus Christ girds himself with a towel after supper, laid aside his garments, girded himself with a towel. He poured water in a basin, verse 5 says. He began to wash his disciples' feet and to wash them with a towel which he was girded. Simon, uh, he came to Simon Peter. Peter said, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter said to him, thou shalt never wash my feet. You know, Peter is like us, quick to speak and slow to think many times. Jesus answered him and said, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Okay, Lord, you're right. Wash everything. No. (laughs) Now you're adding to it. Jesus said to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, uh, but is clean every whit. And you're clean, but not all of you, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, you're not all clean. So after he'd washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down, he said unto them, know ye what I've done to you? And I love that question because the obvious answer is, yeah, man, you wash my feet. <laughs> you wash my feet. That's not what he, that's not the point. And, and that's where verse 13 comes into the context Ye have called me master and Lord, and ye say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. And there's the point. The point is, even a master in the flesh someone who has responsibility, authority, leadership. Listen, at the end of the day, the greatest master became a servant. He, he served by example. He lived out by example of what, of what he expected of his disciples. So, so God gives us that picture. Verse 16, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that sent greater than him that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. And let me just say this as it relates to leadership. Maybe you are in a position of leadership or, or you have a role of a supervisor, a manager, or an employer. The servant is never going to be greater than his Lord. 
And if you want employees and people under you to, to do it right, you've got to elevate your leadership. You've got you've to lead like Christ. Because the servant is never going to be greater than his Lord. And, and listen, if the, if the leader is not leading by example, the servant's never going to follow. It, it, they're never going to follow. The, the, the lid will be the leader always. And so Christ says, listen, even, even I, as master and Lord, have given you an example of how to lead other people. And so we see that play out in the disciples' life, excuse me, in the apostles' life, especially in the book of Acts. You see them taking that to heart and leading like Christ. Okay, so in closing, look, we've got a lot to think about this morning. Again, you may, you may be in here and you say, well, I'm not under, I don't have a boss, I don't have a, an employer. Okay, well, again, we all have authority that we're under, right? And so if we're under authority, we need to submit to that authority, parental authority, husband authority, parental authority, master authority. If you have the opportunity to lead other people, and this is in your notes, do you lead like Christ? Would, would the people on your job say, you know what, this guy, man, gives what's just and equal. Doesn't threaten me to get a job done, but actually motivates me to work harder because, because he leads like Christ. If you have the opportunity to lead in ministry, would the people that you lead in ministry say, you lead like Christ? Or would they say, you know what, all I hear is threatening. <laughs> all I hear is threatening to get a job done. Well, if you hear that, you need to repent. Do you lead to get what you can get out of people, or do you lead to give that which is just and equal? In other words, if you have responsibility to lead people, are you in it for what you can manipulate them to do? If you're not careful, you'll do that in your marriage, by the way. You'll do that with your children. You'll do it on the job. As long as I get what I want, I'm happy. And yet, we've learned that the greatest master leads by giving. He, gets, he leads by giving. What, what can I give that is just and equal? And then lastly, and, and most importantly, are we servant to Christ? You know, in Luke 19, if that were to shake out today, in all seriousness, man, if the rapture happened today, and we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he is now ready to bring in his kingdom. And he stands and says, okay, Jay, you're up. Here's what I gave you. What would you do with that? Are we ready to give an account for that? Listen, whether you're ready or not, that day is coming, church. That day is coming. And I know sometimes around here you think that I'm a crusty old, you know, old guy that you know, can't get positive about anything. And I, I am positive. But I know Laodicean church thinks it's rich and increased with good and, and thinks that it has need of nothing. And it's literally on the brink of the rapture of the church and the judgment seat of Christ. Would you say, yeah, I really am a servant of Christ? Or would you say, you know what, when Christ looks at my life, he's going to say, I'm an unprofitable servant. And, and the truth is, he will reward justly, and equally. He will, because he's Christ. Church, we, we had better be ready. We had better be ready, because that day's coming very, very soon. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you.